Let's just give him a hand clap of praise this morning. Thank you, Jesus. You are worthy of our praise, oh God. You are worthy. You are worthy. As we were singing that song in Spanish, I was just reminded that there's going to be a day where every tribe and every tongue stands together in the same gathering, lifting up that same name of Jesus. And, and, and there'd be no other thing to do, no other option. Everyone will be compelled to, to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. But what I was thinking about is if we, we're supposed to figure this out on this side of heaven. He's worthy of our praise today. He's worthy of all of our worship, of all of our passion, all of our commitment. And yet we struggle sometimes coming to him with a divided heart. But church, as we get it together, and if we, as we learn what it means to give him all of our worship, what it does is it opens up the door for others to join us and be there on that glorious day when everyone from every tongue and every tribe is worshiping the living God. And Father, right now, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and our spiritual ears to hear everything that you desire your church to, to know. And I pray that you would just begin a transforming work in every single one of us today. Father, I pray that every word that comes from my mouth would be straight from you and would go out in the power of the Holy Spirit and penetrate every heart, Lord God, because you love your church so much and you're drawing us unto you. We thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Maybe give somebody a high five next to you. Let them know that you're happy that they came to church today and that you get to sit next to them. Thank you, Joseph. Let's give it up for the worship team for their ministry today. I tell you what, this little church here has a pretty awesome team. I mean, at least three of us feel that way. I said, this little church here has a pretty awesome team. There we go. Praise God. Well, welcome again to church, guys. So excited to be here with you today. Today, I am bringing part seven of our series called Circle the Wagons. And so just to catch you up to speed, we started the series a couple of months ago when we had to hit the pause button in the middle and then we continued where we left off. But God has just been taking us on a crucial journey throughout the series, I believe. Uh, because throughout these letters to the churches written to the seven churches in Asia Minor, uh, we're, we're forcing ourselves to look inward and really reflect on where we're at, to take the spiritual temperature of our own individual relationships with Jesus, but also the spiritual temperature of our church, because God is planning to do something, and he's got to make sure that his bride is ready. Amen? And so um, this came in t to me in a dream where I was having a, a passionate plea with, with the church, and I could see myself in the building with many of you there, and um, in this dream, the phrase came out of my mouth, it's time to circle the wagons. And with that, I woke up from my dream and just began to write it down. And what it was, what a, it was a reference to a childhood memory when I used to watch old Western movies with my dad as a kid. Not because I wanted to watch them, just because that's what he constantly watched. 
And the familiar scene would happen when there was a caravan of stagecoaches heading into a canyon and they were unaware that there was enemies lurking in the canyons above until finally an arrow flies and hits someone directly in the chest. Next, chaos ensues. People are scrambling around, screaming, not sure what to do until finally someone in leadership stands up and says, circle the wagons. And all the wagons begin to circle in toward one another. And as they turn in towards one another, they gather themselves. They, they are able to take the position of battle to defend themselves because they realize that the enemy is at large and they have to do something about it. And so we started with, with uh, the middle letter of these churches. Uh, I believe it was the church to Sardis. It talks about the sleeping church, the church that needs to wake up. Because I believe what God is saying is that 2023 is a year of destiny for us, church. It's a year that he's, he's planned for us to take new ground. And we're going to be traveling into enemy territory. We cannot afford to head into 2023 sleepwalking. And so I believe the Holy Spirit is awakening our church. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to fountain of life. Amen. And so week one, we learned that when we circle the wagons, we need to wake up. Week two, when we circle the wagons, we're able to recapture and remember our lost love, our first love. Week number three, we're reminded that no matter how hard it gets, that we will not quit. In week four, we talked about the compromising church, that, that we cannot afford to compromise. In week five, we learned that God desires for his church to pursue holiness, to actively pursue holiness. In week six, we learned that we need to keep trusting him through the difficult times because he's got quite the track record throughout scripture. And if you've served him any length of time, you've seen his faithfulness in your life. Keep trusting is the key that will give us the ability to be victorious in the end. And today, I wanna give you the passionate plea that Jesus gives to the church of Laodicea to live passionately for him. That there's only one way to live for Jesus, and that's passionately living for Jesus. You know, in sports, uh, there are professional scouts that are paid lots of money to evaluate how a collegiate player will do, especially the NFL. A collegiate football player will do at the next level. And one of the things that they're always struggling to evaluate is the intangible motor, they call it. They'll say something about a guy like, this guy has a motor. And what that means is that he never quits. He's constantly pumping his legs and his arms, and he is fighting through blocks, and he is, and he is uh, laying a hit on everybody until he hears that whistle blow. He's not stopping. He's not quitting. He's not taking plays off. What it is is they're trying to determine which of these elite athletes will separate themselves from the crowd because it's not going to be their talent, because they're going to be surrounded by people just as good as them. But what separates them from the crowd is their love and passion for the game. Somebody who loves the game is going to compete at a whole other level. They're going to find a gear that you can't find unless you give it all of your passion. Church, following Jesus um, with passion is not optional, but it is a requirement 
Charles Spurgeon describes his passion for Jesus this way. He says, the man who has been moved of heaven, who shall stop him? He has been touched of God. Who shall impede him? With an eagle's wing he must fly. Who shall chain him to the earth? With seraph's voice he must speak. Who shall stop his lips? Is not his word like a fire within me? Can you hear the passion? What he's doing, he's describing the passion that he has himself. And because of that passion, he feels unstoppable because if God is for him, who can be against him? And he has this drive to, to not just stand and exist, but to fly, to, to not just sit back and wait, but to move forward, to not remain silent, but to speak out because the word of God is like a fire welling up within him and he expands. Heat has to escape. If you've ever uh, made tea on an old-fashioned tea kettle, what happens when it reaches the boiling point? It starts making some, no some noise, some sound, right? A whistle starts coming out at the end because it cannot be contained. And this is the passion that every single one of us is uh, called to live with. But somewhere along the way, there seems to be this idea that has emerged that passion is not necessary to follow Jesus. It's like we seem to have accepted that there's two classes of Christians, right? There's like the fanatical Christians, the passionate Christians that are just all about Jesus all the time, and you see it in their Facebook post, and you see it, um, uh, they share, they're sharing Jesus everywhere they go, uh, they're, they're just walking around talking about Jesus, they're like Doris, they're telling everybody that they're blessed and highly favored and walking in their healing, right? They're, they're just so, I mean... It's just a certain type of Christian, right? That's, that's reserved for the people that are called to be missionaries and pastors and, and evangelists, right? But then there's this, the rest of us, right, where, where our calling in life is just to be really kind to others and, and be honest and have integrity, keep your nose down and work hard, and, and, and that's all that's required of you. We're not talking about different personality types. We're not talking about different temperaments. What we're talking about is passion, and passion is expressed differently depending on who you are, right? And so I'm not trying to put you in the box of someone who has to be a fiery preacher who looks for opportunities to speak to the multitudes, but that passion is a requirement in every single one of us. Think about it this way. If those of you that are married, those of you that want, raise your hand if you want to be married someday. Young people, okay? You want to be married someday. Do you want to have a casual commitment from your spouse? Or do you want to have a passionate commitment from your spouse? Raise your hand if you want a passionate commitment from your spouse, right? Do you want them just to be fans of you and, um, and, and, and um, spend a little time with you now and then? Or do you want them to love to be around you all the time? And to just love being in your presence. Um, Paul puts it this way in Ephesians. He says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Great. We all know that verse is a great wedding verse. But then he goes on to say, this is a great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. 
See, most people want to date Jesus, but what he desires is a marriage. So we're going to take some time to really talk about this at our tables. Why should all Christians have a noticeable passion and fervency for Jesus? And you could talk about what that might look like. But why should all Christians have a noticeable passion and fervency for Jesus? What would it look like for you to live passionately on fire for God? Let's talk about it at our tables, and then we're going to open up the Word of God. had a great conversation at your table. Somebody at our table brought up God's command, right? To love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So that's a very uh, straightforward answer to why we should live passionately for Jesus, right? Because he said to. Why? Why is he asking for that? Because he wants all of us. He wants your whole heart. And when you love somebody, you don't hold back part of yourself, do you? And what Jesus, and this is the most humbling thing in the whole world, is that Jesus desires not just uh, to know us casually, but he desires an intimate and personal relationship with you and me. That should be very humbling. Uh, we should respond with an overwhelming sense of gratitude. So I want to challenge you this morning very simply to live passionately for Jesus again. Now, before we do that, before we open up the Word, I want you to stand with me. Grab your Bibles or your cell phone Bible app, okay? We're going to remind our souls today what it is that is being spoken over us so that God has all of our attention and so His Word can do its work. Amen? So go ahead and read this along with me. One, two, three. This is my Bible. It is God's word. When I read it and live it, I will become everything it says that I am. If you believe that, say amen. amen. All right. So follow along with me now. We are in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Somebody say yuck. You say I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. 
Also buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness, and ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone that I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Father, let every word penetrate our hearts. God, illuminate your scriptures to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage, this letter is written to a church that is so America, I feel like we should stand for the Pledge of Allegiance this morning. Maybe we open up with the national anthem. Um, I just feel like there's so many parallels. So let's talk a little bit about the city of Laodicea so that we can kind of see just how much we could probably relate to them. Now, Laodicea, first of all, they had a booming economy. It was the place to live. It was like the Scottsdale of Asia Minor, okay? And uh, some of the people that lived there, maybe they were a little hoity-toity, okay? And they dressed a certain way, they lived a certain way, but they were very, very well off and, and totally self-sufficient to the point where you guys heard me talk about the great earthquake of AD 17, right? And so that, that earthquake didn't just devastate the, the church we were talking about last week, it devastated that entire area. And Laodicea was affected by it as well. Now, if you remember, Rome offered the previous church or the previous cities help in rebuilding their city, and they said thank you. And so Rome rebuilt their city. Well, guess what? They gave the same offer to Laodicea. They said, hey, look, your city is wiped out. Let us help you rebuild it. And do you know what Laodicea said? No, thanks. We got it. Can you imagine that? They, they felt so self-sufficient and so well off that they said, we'll take care of this. We'll knock this out real quick. We don't need the help of the government. They were famous for this big medical school they had and where they would also uh, produce this eye salve or this ointment for eyes that they would use to treat eye conditions. It's something that they were famous for. And we're, there's going to be more on that later. It's very significant. They were also famous for producing this rare black-colored wool that was extremely soft. You couldn't find it anywhere else, and it became so much a part of their culture that um, people could recognize Laodiceans by the way they dressed. And so, have you, is, do you know anybody like that, that that lives in the Valley area? We're like, oh, that person's from Apache Junction, right? Or whatever it is, you know, because of the way they dress. Sorry, that was a knock on my grandparents. I love you guys, um, right? Or that person, that's obviously a Paradise Valley person, right? Which is just a wannabe Scottsdale, right? Um, uh, by, the, by, the way, by the way they dress, we can tell where they're from. And so these people, they'd wear their expensive clothes. They'd be like, ah, those people must be from Laodicea, or at the very least, they can afford the beautiful clothes that come out of Laodicea. 
They were a culture of leisure, pleasure, and entertainment. And, and that's reflected even in their ruins as they have many amphitheaters that still remain there today. What's interesting is that this church had no major heresies, major vices, or sexual immorality like Thyatira or Pergamum. But as Alexander McLaren put it, it had what was more fatal than many vices. Listen closely, church. A low temperature of religious life and feeling and a high notion of self. He opens up. It says, this message is from the amen, the faithful and true witness. Now, we say amen a lot in church. We use it as a way of saying, that's right, that's true, I agree with you. Or sometimes we've heard it said it means so be it. But it is this reinforcing word that means, it means true. It's kind of like, it's, it's, it's actually the Hebrew word that means verily. Like remember when Jesus in, in, the, in the King James Version, he says in the New Testament, verily, verily, I say unto you. It's like he's saying, amen, amen, I say unto you. What is about to come from my mouth is the truth, unaltered, uncompromised, the pure truth. And he's announcing himself as the one who is uncompromised, the one who is true, the one who, who is the faithful and true witness, it says. He's the one who can be trusted to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, no matter the circumstances. And not only that, but with perfect accuracy every single time. He can be counted on, not just only to justify or evaluate our actions, but evaluate our very hearts. And that's what we see happening here. He's saying, I'm about to read your mail. I'm about to tell you what's going on on the inside of your heart. And you can know that it's true because, first of all, it's going to bear testimony within your own spirit if you'll open up your ears to hear. And second of all, because I am the true witness. I know exactly what's going on in your heart and your mind. He says in verse 15, here's the problem. You are neither hot nor cold. See, the church, this church here was given not a single affirmation. There's not one positive thing that he says to them, like, hey, you're doing this well. Like, you're lukewarm, but you guys are really good at social activities. You know, you're, you're lukewarm, but your worship team is off the chain. You're lukewarm, but your laser light show and your fog machine is so cool. Nothing wrong with those things. They're given no affirmation, and also, I'd have to say, and I think you will agree, they're given the harshest rebuke of all the churches. I mean, we're talking about churches that there's this Jezebel spirit that rises up, right? And she's teaching people to commit sexual sin and worship idols, right? That sounds really, really bad. Over here, there's this, there's this uh, uh, teaching of Balaam. Right, that says that you can incorporate immorality with your worship and you, and you can worship other idols. And here's this church, and their big thing is they're lukewarm. And he gives them the harshest rebuke. It's, it's like this knee-jerk reaction. And, we, and, and we're going to get to this more in a minute, but what he says, I'll spit you out of uh, my mouth. And I think we can all relate to that reaction, right? Like, like this, this cup of coffee right here um, has been sitting around for a long time. So what do you think the temperature of it is? Why would it be lukewarm? What, well, what if I told you it was actually iced coffee? What temperature would it be? Lukewarm. Wait a second. So like, the cold drink becomes lukewarm and the hot drink becomes lukewarm. Why is that? 
Let's ask Bill Nye the science guy. I'm just kidding. See, because what happens is whatever temperature this is, is if it remains in the middle of the table or uh, set aside for any length of time and it remains unused and unconsumed, then what happens is it starts to actually take on the temperature of its surrounding environment. Church, we are this cup of coffee. And when we are spiritually inactive and we lack spiritual disciplines and we're not producing fruit, in other words, we're of no use to anyone, what happens is we start to take on the temperature of the environment around us. Unless we are consumed, unless we are used by God, then we will conform to the world around us. No one has ever grown closer to Jesus while remaining idle. No one's passion for God uh, gets stirred up while remaining in disobedience to his word. And so what happens as a result of that rebellion is our heart starts to grow lukewarm. See, the passionate Christian changes his environment, right? Just like a match when it's thrown into the wood and the kindling and the tender, it spreads the fire. But the religious person adapts to their environment. And he may maintain even an outward form of religion, right? Maybe he still abstains from all these things. Like, we're not hearing, again, we're not hearing about sexual immorality. We're not hearing about false doctrines or anything like this. They're abstaining from these things. They're like, I'm known uh, by what I don't do, by what I don't partake again, uh, again in, and, and maybe what I speak out against. But yet they can be totally lukewarm. This, war- this morning, I want to give you three steps to help ignite the passion in your life for Jesus again. The first one is very, very simple. Make a choice. Make a choice. See, Jesus says in verse 15, I wish you were one or the other. What's he saying? He's saying, I wish you were hot or cold. There are three options here. There's only one best option, but the worst option is right here in the middle. I wish you were one or the other. See, so let's, let's look at this metaphor here. To be hot, I think it's quite clear, means to be on fire and passionately committed to Christ, right? I think we can agree that's what's being communicated here. And to be cold, we would assume, would have to be the opposite of that, right? That to be cold means that we are far away from him and maybe we're caught up in all the things of the world and, and, and we've been completely um, just addicted to st- things, whatever it may be, but we are cold, like we are far away. But the good thing about being cold is you at least know where you stand with God. When people are out there just living wild, sinful lives, they're pretty sure that if there's a heaven, they're probably not going there. And what can also happen is is that when the consequences of those decisions and those sins come their way, they can actually be driven toward the cross. Like, look at the mess I've made of my life. But to be lukewarm is to be the person who's completely unaware that anything is wrong. This person thinks he's figured out how to live with one foot in and one foot out. This person thinks they've struck the perfect balance of 
living for Jesus, but still enjoying the world. And God says, make a choice. Get in or get out. You've heard me tell this story before, but I have to tell it again. Please forgive me. I had a dog named Damsel. Um, she, yeah, Damsel, I know. I found the name on the internet. Um, and uh, she was a little uh, female uh, dachshund, wiener dog. I always wanted a wiener dog. Just thought they were really funny looking and cute. And uh, she, she was a pretty good dog, but she had a problem of going in and out her doggy door constantly. In and out, in and out. And it was like she was searching for something that she just couldn't find. You know, she was uneasy. And this dog would make me anxious because she'd be going in and out, in and out, in and out. You know anybody in your life like that? Right? And what made it worse, though, and and it was like she was searching for something she couldn't find. You know? She's like, it's not out here. It's not in here. It's not out here. So what she would do is she'd go outside, and then she would press her face up against the doggy door and just crack it open. So just her nose, her long pointy nose, like, like her master, right? And her eye was sticking through, and she would just stare at us. And you could see her tail wagging through the door. Like she's just waiting for us to be like, come here, damsel. And I'm like, what is going on? And so we're frustrated because meanwhile, she's keeping the doggy door open and it's summertime and the cool air is heading out and the hot air is coming again. And the longer she stood in that doorway, the more the environment within our home began to be negatively impacted by the temperature outside. Does anybody see where I'm going here? When Christians try to follow Jesus while leaving the door to the world cracked open, it begins to have an effect on them and everyone around them. Now we can better understand why Jesus offers such a harsh rebuke here. He says in verse 15, I will spit you out of my mouth. You ever had that happen where, uh, oh, I've been out um, uh, football practice, right? Two days in August in Texas, right? Hot. And we'd finish running sprints and we'd come over to get water and the water's just been sitting there in the sun. And you're so thirsty and all of a sudden that first little bit that comes out is extra hot because um, it's the hose is thin, right? And so it's the water in the hose that just baked in the sun and you squirted it in your mouth. And the first thing you do, You spit it out. It just doesn't quite hit the spot. Now, you need that uh, hydration, but man, your body rejects it immediately. And this is the feeling that is being um, described here by Jesus. But in fact, that word spit in the Greek means vomit. In other words, he's saying, dear beloved church of Laodicea, you make me sick. That's pretty harsh. So what could this church have done to make Jesus want to spit them out, want to vomit them out? Well, he gives this further explanation in verse 17. What he does is he reveals their heart. He reveals what they're thinking. When he says, you say, I don't think it necessarily means they're walking around saying this, but he knows what they're thinking. He says, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. I know rich people. They don't usually walk around going, I'm rich. I don't need a thing. But they might live in ways that are declaring that. 
And so nothing makes Jesus sicker than those who are Christian in name only. Those who do not realize their need for him. And so what happens is they don't, not only do they not prioritize him in their life, but their relationship with him is almost non-existent. It's nothing more than a Sunday morning ritual. And so for number two, how to reignite that passion in your life today, we're gonna borrow a point from last week's message. Self-evaluate. Make an honest self-evaluation. See, because this church here, they had been living in filth for so long that they no longer noticed the mess. Now, we used to have a youth um, outreach team at my previous church. We went to a house that was in uh, great need. It was a single mom uh, with some teenage boys. You you can imagine how hard that is, right? And so we went over to kind of do some chores around the house and help out. And when we entered the home, we were met by a very pungent smell. And it was very powerful and very strong and very noticeable. Um, uh, I think it had something to do with the cats that she owned. I'm, I'm not going to hate on cats this, this week. I'll save that for next time, right? But stuff was everywhere. Like you couldn't even find a clear place to sit down. And then you walk through the living room and into the kitchen. And here is this woman. She's in the kitchen. And there are piles, like probably weeks worth of dirty dishes just piled up all around and she's over here with a rag um, clearing out this like three foot section of the counter space and she's like oh sorry guys I was I was still cleaning I cannot stand to cook in a dirty kitchen and she was going to cook us a meal suddenly I'd lost my appetite suddenly I was concerned as to what else might make its way into that meal But what this woman lacked was an honest self-evaluation. I think she had lived so long in that atmosphere that she didn't realize the outsider perspective of someone that would be walking into that house for the first time, that it's a lot worse than you imagine. And what you call a clean kitchen might not be the same thing as my definition of a clean kitchen. And when it comes to us, guys, when we, when we live in the mess of sin for too long, we begin to get to a place where we don't notice it anymore. And it can start so simple and so small. It can be those movies that you used to not watch, right? Because it was just so obnoxious and offensive. But now you've seen them so many times, you don't even notice the language in it, or you forgot about the nudity at the end, and you loan the movie to a friend, and they call you up, and they're like, why did you tell me to watch that? And you're like, oh, I forgot all that stuff was in there. Because the longer we remain in the mess, the more lukewarm we become, the more like our environment we become. And so we have to be willing to self evaluate. Jesus specifically uh, in the New Testament, we see he targeted those who were very self-aware because the self-righteous were almost impossible to reach. He says in Luke 5.32, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, not those who think their house is clean, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. He says in Matthew 5, 3, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need. 
for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Why? Because we cannot come to him if we don't realize that we need him. That word poor, blessed are the poor, means deeply destitute, completely lacking resources, totally dependent on outside help. What that means is this is not, this is not the person that lives paycheck to paycheck or struggles to make ends meet. This is the person where if you don't show kindness and give him a handout, he doesn't eat. And that's what Jesus says, blessed are you when you understand that that is your spiritual state because you will know that I am the only answer for what ails you. The Philadelphian church had completely replaced Jesus with self-sufficiency and religion. They're like, we're good. Just like they told the Roman government, we'll rebuild on our own. They said, you know what? We'll keep this church thing going on our own. We don't need to lean on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll do it with our programs. We'll do it with our music. We'll do it with our charismatic leaders. The more comfortable we are, the more we tend to focus on comfort. And comfort becomes a God. Comfort becomes an idol, and what happens is it turns Christians into the Christians that say, I'll serve until it takes me out of my comfort zone. I'll be used of God until it presses me to stretch myself and grow. I'll give, but not until it hurts, whatever it may be. Comfort becomes our number one pursuit. See, a lukewarm person's words praise God, but his actions declare his independence. Every time I hit the snooze button, every time I neglect reading the word of God, every time I skip church so I can get caught up on everything that I wasn't able to get done during the week, I'm saying to Jesus, I don't need you today. I'm good. Like, you're the creator of the universe. Uh, you're my savior. You died for my sins. And I don't need you today. What I need today is I need nine more minutes of sleep each time I push this button. You've given me your word, which is the inspired, God-breathed word of God that, that, that gives me directions for how to live this life and how to prepare myself for the second coming. But I don't need this today. What I need is I need sleep. What I need is I need to Netflix and chill. That's what I need. We're declaring our independence to God. Which of your actions today, church, are declaring your independence to God? Are telling God, I don't need you. What's ironic about this selfishness is this self-focus, uh, really it causes someone to be even less self-aware. The more we focus on ourselves, the less we realize what shape we are in. And so why such a harsh description of their spiritual state? He says, you are wretched, you are miserable, poor, blind, naked. Wow. Really, God? Like, we're a thriving church. Look at this beautiful building that we have. We have multiple ministries. We're doing great. And you're telling us that we're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? Because a person wrapped up in this lukewarm state can be, or a, or a person wrapped up in blatant sin, rather, is someone that can be awakened 
by the consequences of their sin, but a lukewarm person. The danger is that they'll sleepwalk their way right into hell. Jesus is not okay with that. He doesn't want to see that happen. Think about it. Who's more lost? Who's in more danger? Who's more confused? The person who's starving death, starving to death in the middle of a wasteland with no resources. Or the person who's starving to death while sitting at the dinner table. But in this culture of comfort, we have to routinely self-evaluate to make sure we remain passionate followers of Jesus and we don't fall for the trap of pursuing our own comfort. So how do we overcome a culture of comfort? I, if we look at other countries, life's just comfortable for us. Some of you in here are going through a lot of difficult things, but you can still gain a fresh perspective by looking at what people are facing elsewhere, right? And be like, wow, this life is comfortable in comparison. So how do we overcome that? Do we need to move? <laughs> do we need to leave the United States of America and go to a place where there's no freedom of religion and um, there's no capitalism and um, there's, there's no American dream? How do we overcome this? If it's so bad to be comfortable, what do we got to do? Do we just got to sell our stuff and give all our stuff away? I guess that's between you and God, but I want to suggest this to you. Number three, and I'd like to invite the worship team to come up too. Number three is step into the fire. Step into the fire. See, when we pursue our comfort, we walk around the fire. We try to benefit from the warmth the warmth of the fire, but we don't want the fire to consume anything that we love. But Jesus has called us to step into the fire and to be on fire. See, the fire is the trials that come from the life of a genuine faith. A life lived by a person of genuine faith is going to encounter trials. And it's actually supposed to happen. And so this is what I believe Jesus is saying here. In verse 18, he says, buy gold from me that has been purified by what? Do you remember? Fire. Buy gold from me that has been purified by fire. I think Peter gives us a hint as to what Jesus might mean here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. It says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Or we could say Pure. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So as gold is made pure in the fire, faith is proven in trial. So perhaps... What, it wasn't simply the fact that this church was living comfortably, but why they were living in comfort. It's not because God had blessed them and spared them of all these difficult trials, but it's because they were avoiding the hard things. Sometimes the absence of trials in our life is actually the evidence that you're no longer following Jesus. Because all the time... He's leading you into the fire. He led Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego literally into a fire. He led his disciples into a terrible storm. If 
you follow Jesus, he's going to take you to hard places. He's going to ask you to do difficult things. And in the process, your faith is proven true. And it is purified. And it becomes a part of who you are. But when we settle in comfort, our faith is worth nothing. Step into the fire. If you want to overcome lukewarmness in your life, it's going to take action. Put yourself out there. Do hard things. Participate in the park ministry with Brothers for Hope with Steve and go down and face-to-face look a homeless person in the eye and tell them that Jesus loves them and died for his sins. Pray with him. Pray that he would be healed. Pray that his addiction would be broken off of him. Head out to the grocery store, and while you're there picking up milk, pray for somebody. Tell somebody that Jesus loves them. Volunteer at OCJ Kids. Help take care of foster kids and prepare them for life when they age out of the system. Become a foster parent. You want to be refined by fire? Let me tell you right now. Become a foster parent. Adopt. Give kids a second chance. And you will go through the fire, and it will be the best decision you ever made. See, when you walk out God's word, it's going to be accompanied with a refining fire. And there's something that the church, the American church needs today so bad. It's the refining fire of Jesus Christ. We have been called to burn for him, church, to burn for him. Not to go through the motions, not to follow a religion, not even to live a squeaky clean life. That was really hard to say, but you know what I meant. You've heard the term, where there's smoke, there's fire. It's about time that God's people, man, people start smelling smoke when they see you coming. Because you've been in the fire, and you carry the fire with you wherever you go. Wake up from this idea that you've been called to sit idly by, that you've been called to sit through a church service, that you've been called just to make sure uh, you bring your kids to church on a Sunday morning. No, 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 no. You have been called to burn. You've been called to passionately burn for Jesus. And then he says in verse 18, then you will be rich. Because to be truly rich is to have all your needs met in him. Why? Because he never leaves. He never fails. He never walks out. His love never gives up on you. You can count on him. He's the only anchor you have in this crazy life that's always shaking, always moving, always being blown about by the winds and the waves of the trials of this world. Jesus is the only one you can count on. And so if all your needs are met in him, you are truly happy. You are truly fulfilled. You'll be rich with the things that matter, the things that last. He says, buy white garments so you'll not be shamed by your nakedness. He's talking about righteousness here. See, these people, they wore black to show that they were wealthy. But those black garments could do nothing to cover up their shame or their sin or to give them forgiveness of their sin. But the white garments that God provides represents the righteousness that he paid for, that he placed upon us. See, as rich as they were, they could never buy their forgiveness. They could never buy God's mercy. But him, rich in his mercy and love, he poured it out so freely and says, here, take these garments and put them on. You are clean so that when I return for you, you'll be ready for the wedding party. Because those garments you have right now, they mean nothing to me. They say nothing about who you really are. 
And then he says, by ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see. I mentioned earlier, they were famous for making out eye salve. And he says to the same people that produce this medicine for eyes, you are blind and so lost. You don't understand how far away from me you are, how cold your heart has grown. Buy from me ointment so that you can see. Because his desired church is is that we are no longer deceived by self. That we're no longer in this incredibly dangerous place where we have just enough of God that we feel good about ourselves. But we don't realize that we're wretched and poor and blind and naked. We don't think anything's wrong. Are you hearing me, church? There are those of you sitting here today and you think you're okay and you're not. And Jesus loves you so much, he's willing to tell you something that stings a little bit. Because he says this in verse 19, I correct and discipline everyone I love. This is the closest thing to an affirmation he offers to this church. This is a church that simply doesn't care. That's what he's accusing them of. You don't care. You're lukewarm. He's saying, I love you. So he says, be diligent and turn from your indifference. The sad reality today is that too many Christians don't care. Let's be honest. Can we be honest with ourselves? Can we have an honest self-evaluation? We don't care. We don't care. Because the amount of care we have is, is, is shown in how we live. It's produced in our actions. It's the fruit we produce. When he says, be diligent, That word in the Greek actually means be zealous. Remember how earlier, how I talked about how we have two classes of Christians in our mind? There's some that just be, you know, good people, but they don't necessarily have to be all crazy for Jesus. This is a clear command. He says, you're you're wrong. You're messed up. You're lost right now. And the answer is you need to turn from that indifference and you need to be diligent or be zealous which means to have warmth of feeling for or against something very strongly. And it's the same Greek word that they use uh, when he says you're neither hot or cold. It comes from the same root, which actually means to boil. To boil. When Jesus is, is calling out to his church to turn from their lukewarm state of mind, he's saying, I want you to boil with passion for me. To follow Jesus is to burn for Jesus, period. This is not radical or fanatical Christianity. This is normal Christianity. It's the only way to do it. If you find yourself feeling apathetic, if your feelings do not measure up, change your actions. Start to do something different because, listen, right feelings will follow right actions. Don't wait for the feelings to hit you upside the head. Start to do what God's word says to do. Start to believe it's actually true. Start to actually act upon it and see that passion within you begin to boil up and no longer be able to be contained. He says in verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. There is something very beautiful and significant about his consistency and his proximity in this statement. Hear this. He's consistent because he says, I stand. Stand is in the present tense. That means that at this very moment, he is knocking on your door. 
If you find yourself lukewarm, far away from God right now, maybe it just feels flat. Maybe you're just not really living for him with all that fervor and that passion. He's knocking at your door. And his proximity is close. Here he rebukes the church that lives as though they don't need him. I've got everything I need outside of God. And where do we find him? Right outside the door. Knocking. Lukewarm Christian, you are loved. And he's standing right outside the door and he is knocking. And then he says he's doing more than just knocking. It says, if you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. He's calling out to us. The Bible says, my sheep know my voice. My prayer today is that some of you will begin to hear that familiar voice of the Holy Spirit again, drawing you closer, saying, I'm done with this casual relationship with you. I love you. I'm madly in love with you. I died on a cross for you, not so you could have a casual relationship, but so that I could come in and we could fellowship as friends. One quick story as we close. I remember one time, Jason and Cassie do us a favor all the time by giving Aubrey rides to church events that we're not a part of because they live right next door. And there was one particular night she was out late and just out of habit, not thinking about it, I locked the garage door. Usually she comes in through the garage door code and then she walks in an unlocked door to the house. And I locked the door and I went to bed and suddenly I am awakened to my phone buzzing. I answer it and Jason's like, dude, uh, you locked your child out. You need to come and open the door. Now, I did not intentionally lock her out, I promise. I love you. I, di- I did want you to come home again. But what happened is I locked the door while just going through motions that I have done hundreds of times before. And in that state of mind, I was careless and casual. It wasn't that I didn't want her to come home, but was I anticipating her return? Was I looking forward to it? Was I preparing for it? Because if, it was, if I was, then I would have been awake and aware and mindful to make sure that that door was available so that when she came, she could come right in unhindered. He says, I will come in and I will share a meal What I love about that is this is not a casual visit, but a deep fellowship that he desires. He wants to share a meal. This is more than a once a week Sunday morning visit, church, but a deep fellowship that is ongoing and continual. Yes, with you, the very one who has grown cold towards him, the very one who lives your life without acknowledging him, the very one that hits your snooze button because you need more sleep, more than you need to be in the presence of Jesus. That's the one that he desires for. You have his heart. He loves you and he wants to be in deep fellowship with you. So will you answer his call this morning? He's knocking on the door. Will you let him in? And as always, he ends with a promise. He says, the victorious will sit with me on my throne. Another promise that we hear repeated, a a promise to rule alongside with him, referring to two thrones. He says, just like I sat on my father's throne, well, that throne is reserved for Father, the triune God, right? But the other throne is Christ's throne, which he offers to share with us. I want you to stand with me this morning. 
to, and I wanna give you a chance to respond to this invitation. If you remember the three things we talked about was number one, make a decision. Many of you in here, you just gotta make a decision today. Say, no, I'm turning my back on that lukewarm life. I realize it's not an option. I either gotta get in or I gotta get out. And I choose to get in, you gotta make a decision. Number two, evaluate your heart so that you know whether you are in or out that you're where you're supposed to be with God. And number three, make a commitment to step into the fire. And so here's what I wanna do. The team is gonna lead us in this song. And we're talking about following Jesus with passion, right? A passionate commitment. And so what better way to respond to today's message than saying, I'm going to come to the front and I'm going to offer my most passionate praise to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I believe if you will do that, if you will come to the front and you will bring him your best praise that you're gonna encounter his presence, he's gonna do what he promised he would do. You open the door unto him, he's gonna come into you and there's gonna be a fellowship that takes place in here and he's gonna set you on fire with passion for Jesus Christ. So Father, right now in Jesus' name, as they come forward, as they come forward to bring you their worship, God, I pray you'd pour out your spirit upon all of us and set us on fire for you, Father, in Jesus' name. Come on, church, let's respond like we should.
Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Father, we worship you. We thank you because you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. God, let the meaning of that word resound within our hearts and minds, Lord Jesus. I feel that is a word that has fallen upon deaf ears for far too long, God, because we don't know what it means. Oh, Father, that word is uttered when you prophets and men of God have encountered a very vivid and real vision of God in all his glory. And all they can say is holy, holy, worthy, worthy. And God, I pray that just the meaning of that word, God, that we would not sing this as something that we have heard and read about, but we would sing it as something that we have experienced, Father God. We ask for you to pour out your presence upon this place and upon this church in such a way, God, that when we sing worthy, it's not because that's the lyric on the screen, but because it's the lyric that is burned upon our hearts, Lord, burned upon our mind's eye, Lord, that we have been able to look through heaven and gaze upon your beauty because the veil was torn so that heaven could be open to us. We worship you this morning. We thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just sing that again, Missy? You are worthy of it all. Lift your hands to him, church. Jesus, you are worthy of it all. Yes. For from you are all to you are all things you deserve the glory we were worthy of it all yes jesus we sing the song you were worthy of it all yes jesus for from you are all things and to you are all you deserve the glory.
you, Jesus. Father, we worship you. If, if you're singing those words with sincerity in your heart, I promise you it is music to his ears. Because I feel like what he's saying is like, really? You give me all your worship? I dare you. See what I'll do with that worship. See what I'll do with a man that gives me his everything. See, watch what I'll do with a woman who gives me everything she has. Watch, watch what I can do with a teenager who's set on fire by me. And church, I'm telling you, that's why we're here. We're here to burn. We haven't been planted in this neighborhood to just be a place where people can gather and have fellowship. That's great. But we're here to set this neighborhood on fire. And that's true life. That's the abundant life that Jesus paid for, a life that's completely his. Father, we just thank you. And I just pray the commitment that many of us have made today would just be sealed upon our hearts today and followed through on with obedience, Lord. God, that um, we'd stop hitting the snooze button. That's a, that's a real thing, and that's a big deal. But God, we start off every day in your presence, Lord. We stop hitting the snooze button. We, um, we open up your word. We don't just listen to other people preach and teach on it, but we read it for ourselves, God. And we seek your face. We seek your presence. We seek your will for our lives, Lord. God, raise up your church, God. We're taking new territory in 2023. We have circled the wagons. And God, you are raising up an army. And today, I declare that we are ready for battle. And those that are still on the outskirts and still not made that decision, I pray, God, that they would make that decision now. Because you've called us to take ground. It is time. And we thank you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you feel like God set you on fire today? Renewed your passion for him. So go and spread that passion everywhere you go. In the workplace, in the schools. God bless you guys. Have an amazing day. We look forward to seeing you again very soon.